great, and thank you for joining me once again. Hello, welcome, and kumusta. In this session and in this episode, we will talk about the earnings, savings, and how we can help. So this session is particularly focused more on the uh, personal experience that I have had. So it's more of an anecdotal experience. And this is an advice from one clinician, from one old clinician to multitudes of you who are interested and who are listening. My name is Hao. I am your occupational therapist. Just to let you know, this is not my real name. And I am speaking personally on behalf of my personal experience. And I am not speaking on behalf of any trust that I am working with. And uh, so the first the questions that you would hear all the time or when you attend meetings and staff briefings, you would hear a lot of managers, senior managers, saying about us being in debt. There is a big move on these things. So, and I understand that from a young clinician, sometimes this information just goes over and above our heads. We don't know what, what, what they're talking about. Why are we in debt? So the questions are, why is there a drive to cut down the hospital stay? Why are we in debt? How do we get savings? Now, how relevant is occupational therapy in helping the hospital? Why do we say we are overspending? And how does the hospital get money? So if we take in, for example, let's just have some hypothetical cases. And this time we're just going to have, say, five cases. So you've had a patient who was admitted because of a fall. Patient number two is admitted with a chest infection. Patient number three is somebody who's been admitted with a fractured ankle. Number four is the one who had transient ischemic attack. And then patient number five is somebody who has been admitted because they have had a urinary tract infection. So you've got five patients. Now remember when I mentioned these five patients, there are individual, there are individual diagnoses for them. So the falls, the chest infection, fractured ankle, TIA, and the UTI. What we sometimes do not know or a lot of us are not aware of, because it is beyond our job role and responsibilities anyway, is that every aspect or every diagnosis that we see has a corresponding tariff, meaning it comes with a cost. What do I mean by that? When people come in, into the hospital and they get diagnosed with something, at the end of every month, this diagnosis is converted into a code and this code is converted into a set 
diagnosis or a set tariff. So every diagnosis, there is a tariff associated with it. And at the end of every month, all of these diagnoses are all, all summed up together. All procedures are all summed up together and 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 we established the, the codes for all of these procedures and diagnosis and then we sum up all of the corresponding tariffs. So that would be the cost of what of, of the patients of all the services. So in this hypothetical scenario that I have mentioned, just for you to understand it, so let's just have, just make it simple. Let's say a fall is 500 pounds and a chest infection, we get given 1,000 pounds. For a fractured ankle, say we get 1,500 pounds. TIA, maybe just hypothetically 500 pounds. And the UTI is another 5,000 pounds, 500 pounds, I'm sorry. Um, so if you sum these all up, so fall 500, chest infection of 100, fractured ankle 1,500, TIA 500, UTI 500, overall, these five patients would have generated 4,000 pounds for the trust. That's part A. So we know how much money these patients are bringing in to the trust. Now, all of these patients, they obviously stay in the hospital. And say the falls patient stayed in the hospital for four days. That person with a chest infection stayed in for two days. The fractured ankle patient for one day, two days. TIA patient with one day. And then the UTI patient stayed in for three days. So overall, the actual hospital stay for all of these five patients that generated 4,000 pounds is 12 days. Now, you come to think about it, if the cost of hospital stay in the hospital for every day is 500 pounds, so technically that 12 days would have, so 12 times 500, yeah, it would have costed 6,000 pounds. So with that, if the hospital earned 4,000 pounds and all of these five patients stayed in for 12 days, the cost of that is 6,000 pounds. So meaning, at the end of the day, the hospital was down with 2,000 pounds. So that is now an expense and that's now in the red, isn't it? So the hospital now is in debt of 2,000 pounds. Now, hypothetically with this same patients, if we manage to cut down the length of stay by seven days, for example. So from, for these five patients, so I did not mention to you in the first instance, right? So the false person, 
stayed in for four days. Person with chest infection stayed in for two days. Fractured ankle patient stayed in for two days. TIA patient stayed in for one day. And then the UTI patient stayed in for three days. So that is overall 12 days. Now, if we take into account this same number of patients and we cut the hospital stay down. So the false patient stayed in for one day, chest infection for two days, fractured ankle for two days, and then the TIA patient stayed in for one day, and then the UTI stayed in for one day. So we have cut down the, the, uh, the days from 12 down to 7. So if we still are costing their stay of 500 pounds per day, so these seven days have costed the hospital 3,500. And so if we go by income less expense equals profit, earnings, or savings. So with this, for these five patients that we got 4,000 pounds from NHS England or from the government that's paying every hospital, and then we were able to spend only 3,500 of it because of the length of stay, we cut it down. So the hospital then is in profit of 500 pounds. So there you go, guys. It's as simple as, as that. Now, how can we help? That's the big question. As, an occupation, as occupational therapists, I think there are four aspects and four parts on it that we need to, to consider. And these are, we need to be there early. Early assessment is the key. And then the next thing is anticipation when we see patients. And then the next one is we have to be collaborative we need to advise the team in the ward, and we need to really be proactive. Okay, so how does this work? Okay, let me explain myself a little bit more. So by early assessment, if we're there and we're able to screen patients as early as possible, then we can make things easy. We're having a better picture of what's happening in the ward. So it's not difficult to screen if you're manning the gates, really. Because at the end of the day, there are only three or four patients that would come in. And you can screen them. Screening is just having a look at the patients. Nothing is stopping us from doing our own occupational therapy rounds in the same way as the doctors do the doctor's rounds. So screen early, yeah, early assessment. And it's not that difficult to do. I, I would say that screening is all about interviewing and talking to patients and their next of kin. Because when you go and speak to patients, it takes less time. And you can have a better understanding of the patient straight away. Because by seeing the patient, without you knowing about it, you are actually, you're actually assessing it. You know, there's something at the back of your head that's already figuring things out already, okay? But it's when, when you look at the notes, this becomes very troublesome. Now, 
just to let you know, I am not discouraging you from looking at the notes. The problem with just looking at the notes straight away is that you are creating assumptions and your assumptions may not be at par with the actual reality. Whereas if you see the person, you can see the person straight away. You can see how they are talking. You can see how well or unwell they are. You can see if they're in a happy or not so happy disposition. So you can interview and talk to patients and their next of kins. You know, it's not a bad thing to do that. And then what you can do if you're there late is you can also have an early assessment by collaborating with the multidisciplinary team, talking to them, being friends with them, being a team member, and seeing them as part of your team. And they're not enemies. They are not competition. You know, they're there. You're part of the team and you have to collaborate with them. So talk to the nursing team, the care staff, the healthcare support workers, the physiotherapists. And these are very helpful if, for example, you know, you're there and you're not the ward OT and you're new in the area. You can go in and you see the patient sleeping so and they're in nightgowns, for example. So it's it's really it it plays tricks on you. A person wearing a nightgown, you would think that they're very ill. But then you go and ask the care staff, how are they? You ask them, how are they doing? And then the care staff might say, oh, they're actually doing well. You know, they're standing, they're walking, isn't it? So it's all right to collaborate with the multidisciplinary team. And when you see these patients, and when you have seen and done your interview, you have to try and establish, and you have to build this question, what are the things, what are the functional needs of these patients? What are the things that this patient needed to do to get them out of the hospital? Okay? And it's really, at the end of the day, it's just three basic things. It is functional mobility. They should be safe with it, meaning they can get out of bed. They can get out of the chair. They can get out of the toilet. They can walk safely with or without a frame. So that's one. The next thing that you need to do, the functional requirement to go home, is can they manage their own toilet hygiene? Right? Can they wipe their bottom? So I've been known to be the toilet hygiene king. <laughs> and it's really essential because if you wipe your bottom and you tip over, then you cannot go home, right? So that's the actual uniform terminology for it, the toilet hygiene. I have worked with a colleague of mine, and she works in complex elderly case. And uh, she, doesn't, she did not use the toilet hygiene as a terminology, but over the years, she has developed this wisdom in saying that what is required is for this person to have to be safe with their nighttime toileting. So you see? So the person needs nighttime toileting. So there you go. In early assessment, you have to screen the patient. It's easy enough to do that. Don't stop yourself from asking or interviewing the patient. Um, and, you know, more details and some of the tips on that one would be on, my, on the episode two of, of this podcast. And then 
Talk to the MDT, talk to the nursing care team and the physiotherapists, and then just have a perspective or or have a view of what needs to be done. So that is the early assessment. The next thing that you need to do as occupational therapist is to anticipate. So if you're working in the ward, and if you have an overview of the ward, so the question would be this. This is the thing that you should ask yourself. Who, after being medically fit, will need more time or carers or will need equipment? So that would be the, the question if you're overseeing that, the, 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 uh, the ward. That's why I'm always an advocate. I am always an advocate for an OT to have an overview of what's happening in the ward rather than individual patients just being referred over to you, okay? So it's easy enough to look after a 30-bedded ward, just do the walkabout, but just by looking at them, question that you would answer would be this. Who, after being medically fit, will need more time to rehabilitate? Who will need carers and equipment? So by doing this, you need to be aware. Also, you have to be aware of the functional implications of their conditions. So after screening, this is when you need to look at their cases. You know, after eyeballing the patient, the person looks frail, okay? So it's like, oh, elderly person looking a little bit frail. What's happening? And then this is the time where you can... This is where I would recommend that you look into the notes. What's happening here? And then you can see, uh-huh, it is a pneumonia. Okay? So pneumonia, you can now be aware that there could be functional implications of that and the condition might either deteriorate even longer or the person will deteriorate a little bit further. Or say, for example, the person has, you've just by looking at an elderly person, you've seen that the person has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. So you can tell that this person, even if it's just a simple infection, when they're medically fit, they're likely to require carers or support because you cannot rehabilitate them because it's a different, um, what do you call this? It's a different context altogether. So that's one. Have a look and be aware of the functional implications of their conditions. So if you see a person and then you know that they've got hip fracture, you can tell that they would have difficulty with the bed transfers, toilet transfers, chair transfers, bath transfers, so they are likely to require equipment. Now, you have to collaborate with the multidisciplinary team as to who's actually doing well. Yeah? This is where you talk with the doctors and you can just simply ask them as to who do they think will achieve functional optimization as early as possible and then they can tell that to you. And by doing so, by them letting them know, well, letting you know, then you can actually anticipate what's going to happen. And then you need to anticipate and monitor those who are likely to deteriorate. If your patients stay in a little bit shorter or say they come in with 
a chest infection but is elderly but they're elderly and they are taking a long time because they cannot achieve their medical optimization then they are likely to deteriorate which means you'll have to be involved yeah and then the third one is you need to advise the team and advise the ward as an occupational therapist so after you've done your screening you don't just screen and write it down on your handover notes or your individual folder because uh, you know the one that you bring to the ward every place has their folder you know that we keep an eye on and that we keep putting lines on them you know sometimes the folders are more updated than the patient's notes and that's not right what we should be doing is once you've done the screening you should write down the result of that screening onto the uh the the platform where you document it so whether it's a digital documentation so you just write it down so i've screened the patient i am aware of this patient i am not anticipating any problem unless the person stays in a little bit longer in which case i am monitoring the patient so write these things down so that is the one way on how you could advise the team or the ward another method is you can advise the nurse coordinator or if they have a care coordinator or you have a discharge coordinator okay so they are your best friends in the ward because they too are the ones that has an oversight of what's happening and everybody reports to them and so you can advise the nurse coordinator because they are likely to disseminate your information to the appropriate people it's easier to find them than to find multiple doctors it's easier to find a nurse coordinator than finding the nurse looking after you know like individual bays it's more centralized the communication would be much more centralized so the other thing thing on or method on how you could advise the team and the ward is well, you can do this by making your documentation visible and when you have digital documentation you can uh, you know use headings you can state the conditions that are required for this person to go home all right but that is the limit of that is the platform that you are using okay now the next one is being proactive this would be the last of the four so we have to be proactive how do you become proactive as occupational therapists one is start early yes perfect you know if you can be there at seven o'clock that's perfect that's wonderful you know the ward is still very quiet you're going to capture everybody in the ward that's beautiful start early by being in the ward early right rather than coming to the ward at nine o'clock first thing that you do and this is what i have noticed a lot of people when they come in into the ward is they check their emails they respond to their emails and they don't go to the ward until it is nine o'clock or ten o'clock or they don't go into the ward into the unit until 
board round, which is usually around nine o'clock. And then they make their handovers afterward, meetings after meetings. And by the time the person sees a patient, it's already 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. So there's not a lot of activities that's happening already. So start early. I'm advising that you be available and be present in the ward. Be contactable. It'll be easy if you're there where people can see you. That's beautiful because they know that you're there. Yeah. And you know what's happening around. Be a part of the ward. Be a member of the team. Because at the end of the day, you have and you are mutually accountable to all the patients in the unit. Everybody is your you're accountable to a lot of them as well, okay? And ask. Ask the team. Do not wait for referrals. Yeah, if you see them, your next line of action should be, how can I help? What is the problem with our patients? You ask the ward nurses. What's our situation? What's worrying you? These are the things that you should ask a nurse. So you see a nurse. Hello, you have these patients in the ward and there's about six bedded bay. What's worrying you? Who's the one that you're worried about? Ask. Do not wait for a referral. Just ask. Take the name down. If you can facilitate the job of other and make their job easier, then why not, isn't it? Do not wait for a handover. You know, just ask. Look at the notes. What you can do is you can look at the nurse's notes. Because if you go and search the notes and you go and look for the, uh, a nurse, individual nurse, and you wait for a handover, the thing that they will hand over to you are the things that are on the paper that was handed over to them. So my advice would be just go straight every ward, every place, there is a nurse's handover. And this is where communication is passed on. Just have an access to that. Okay, so be proactive. So there you go, guys. In this session, again, we have spoken about the uh, earnings, savings, and ways on how we can help. So I've shown you that the length of stay, our contribution on minimizing the length of stay, will have an impact on the earnings or the profits and the loss of the trust that you are working with. And we have discussed, I've shared with you some of the techniques and some of the tips on how you can contribute to the earnings of the ward. Uh, and that is by have being early, having an early assessment, anticipating what the needs are, communicating with the team, and being proactive. So if you've learned anything today, uh, please pass on this information, talk amongst yourselves, grow together, uh, pass this information to your, your colleagues, to your friends, have that discussion. And just remember, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye!